Several years ago, I read an article in a magazine I subscribed to, and the article was titled, Messy, Costly, Dirty Ministry. Part of the article said this, The Tuesday night prayer meeting at the Brooklyn Tabernacle felt like skydiving into a tornado, exhausting and exhilarating all at once. I'd read about the meeting in Pastor Jim Cymbala's book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, but nothing prepared me for the event itself. 3,500 God-hungry people storming heaven for two solid hours. Afterward, my friend and I went out to dinner with the Cymbalas. In the course of the meal, Jim turned to me and said, Mark, do you know what is the number one sin of the church in America? I wasn't sure, and the question was rhetorical anyhow. Jim said, it's not the plague of internet pornography consuming our men. It's not that the divorce rate in the church is roughly the same as society at large. Jim named two or three other candidates for the worst sin, all of which he dismissed. The number one sin of the Church of America, he said, is that its pastors and leaders are not on their knees crying out to God, bring us the drug addicted, bring us the prostitutes, bring us the destitute, bring us the gang leaders, bring us those with AIDS, bring us the people nobody else wants, whom only you can heal, and let us love them in your name until they're whole. The the author of the article goes on to say that He was greatly convicted by this because he was one of the pastors who had never prayed for these kind of people to come to his church. What kind of people do you think about when you pray for people to come to our church? What kind of people do you look for when you look for opportunities to minister to someone in Jesus' name? I wonder if there isn't more truth to this sign than we would want to admit. Temple Baptist Church wanted people just like us. I think that's often the case. I think often when we want, we pray for people to come, we want people to come who already have it together. They know how to dress. They know how to talk. That They know to give. They know to do all the same things we are. They're not messy. They're not difficult. They don't make life a problem for us. They just come in, fit in, and everything goes along. And while this may be true, is it right? Should our focus be merely on people who are just like us, Or like Symbolist said, should we be focusing on reaching out to those who would lead us to having messy, messy, costly, dirty ministry? We're going to answer this question by looking at the life of Jesus, seeing the kind of people he ministered to and what this means for us and how to emulate his example. So Mark chapter 2, verse 13 is where we're going to start. It should be page 762 in your pew Bible. And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's word. Mark 2:13-17 And he went out again by the seashore, and all the people were coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. And it happened, he was reclining at the table in his house. Many tax collectors and sinners were dining with him <coughs> and his disciples, for there were many of them. And they were following him. When the scribes of the Pharisees... Saw he was eating with sinners and tax collectors. They said to his disciples, why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. The title of the message is Messy Ministry. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We praise you for all you've given and done. Open our hearts to your word. Open our hearts to be more like Jesus. Help us. Father, to do all we can 
in our lives to lay aside anything that hinders us from being like Christ. Whether, whether it's a prejudice, whether it's an attitude, whether it's a sense of superiority over others. Whatever it is, let your spirit and your word convict us of it. Let us repent and renounce it. Let us lay it aside and make us a people who, Lord, are a friend of sinners like Jesus is. Who have a heart for sinners like Jesus did. Father, let us never forget that we were sinners. And when we were sinners, Christ loved us and Christ died for us. And other people reached out to us. I am thankful in my life. Lord, for the many people who who sought me when I was living in sin. Thankful for the chaplains in the army that always seemed to know my name. For squad leaders and other soldiers. whose names I can't even remember now, but invited me to church knowing the things I was doing. Thank you for a church who loved me, a pastor who talked to me. Thank you for parents who prayed for me. Help us, Father, to be to be those people for others. Our town is filled with people who don't know Jesus. Harvest is plentiful. Labors are few. Break off anything in our lives that hinders us from being labors in your harvest. Break off anything in our lives that make us only want people like us. Let your Holy Spirit shed your love abroad in our hearts. We would love the way Jesus loved, and we would love the way we have been loved. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Very few people were as hated in Jesus' day as tax collectors were. More so than in our day. Because a tax collector was not much was not like an IRS agent. That's often a joke we say, but they were very different. Tax collectors in Jesus' day were one thing, they were often Jews who were working for the conquering and oppressive Roman government. One of the reasons that they were hated as Jews is that they were crooked. The Romans, if I was a tax collector and you were my parish, as it were, the Romans would say, you need to send in to us X amount of dollars, $500, whatever. So as long as I sent to Rome $500, Rome didn't care what other money I took. So if I could exhort from each of you $100, and I sent 500 to Rome and I kept the rest for myself, Rome didn't care. But the tax collectors didn't just say, hey, Judy, you owe me $400, give me what you have. The tax collectors also had big burly guards that would rough you up, shake you down to try to get all they could out of them. And there was nowhere to go. If I'm a tax collector and I'm shaking Judy down and she goes to a Roman official to tell them what I've done, they don't care. They don't care at all. There is no recourse. And so now the Jews, they see a Jewish man, should be one of them, who is working with this evil and oppressive government. But not only is he 
cooperating with the evil and oppressive government. He is evil and oppressing his own people for the sake of the government and for his own profit. Well, you can see why they would be despised. They were so despised that they were considered unredeemable by good Jewish folks. The good Jewish religious folks figured that if someone were so far gone, so far away from God, that they would turn against their own people and they would work for a pagan government and oppress and cheat and lie and do all of these things contrary to God's law, they were beyond the reach of God's love. They could not be redeemed. They were even, they were actually barred from entering synagogues or the temple. They were not allowed. And it was this kind of person Jesus reaches out to in verse 14 to call to be his disciple. He's at the very receipt of taxes and Jesus calls him to follow him. But reaching out to to a person like this on the fringes of society wasn't an exception in the ministry of Jesus. It was the normal way he did things. He didn't go to the churchy class. He, He didn't go to the religious leaders and the scribes. He went to those who were cast out. He went to those that the religious crowd had cast off and had given up on. And he did this whether the true, whether the person was a sinner, as Matthew, Levi, the tax collector, or whether the person was a leper or diseased in some sort of way. So Jesus sees this tax collector while he's teaching. He goes to him, calls him to follow him. And Matthew decides, yes, I'm going with Jesus. And because he's met Jesus and he's found a religious leader who will teach him about God and who seems to care for him, he does what would be natural. He invites his friends to come and meet this unique individual who teaches and speaks for God, but yet cares for someone like Levi. But when Matthew calls his friends, just so happens his friends are like him. No good Jewish person would be friends with a tax collector. So Matthew's friends are tax collectors. They're prostitutes. They are the worst form of sinners. They are people who, like Matthew, who, like Levi, are people the religious class had given up on. People that were irredeemable. People that could not come to God, that God had no care for any longer. They were messy They were costly. They were the dirty people of the world. They had all manner of of sin issues in their life. That they were not among the good people of the day. Probably they had had bad experiences with religious people. Probably they had been made to feel unwelcome in synagogues. Probably they had doubts about God. Was God real? Did he care about them? Were the religious leaders right and they could never be restored to God because of what they had done? These were the messy people to minister to. But these were the people Jesus intentionally ministered to. Many like the idea of ministering to people in the name of Jesus. Until it comes to ministering to people who are messy. The reality... All ministry 
And remember, ministry is just serving others in the name of Jesus. Serving Jesus by serving others. That's ministry. The reality is all ministry is messy because all people are messy. And this is the main thought for today. Ministry is messy because people are messy. All people have issues. All people have problems. So ministry is, if we're going to minister in the name of Jesus, the power of the Spirit, for the glory of God, we're going to have to be willing to be involved in messy ministry with messy people. Because all people are messy. So how do we minister to messy people? Well, first we follow the example of Jesus. The wording in verse 13 and 14 is interesting to me. It appears Jesus goes out to teach, and as He's teaching, He sees Matthew or Levi collecting the taxes. And we don't know how long Jesus taught. But let's say it was the length of the Sermon on the Mount. 15, 20 minutes, if you just read it out loud. Maybe 30, if you read it slow. And as He's teaching, He's watching. And He's watching people angrily go to pay their taxes. I mean... We don't pay our taxes happily, so they pay theirs much less happily than we do. And he's watching this Jewish man extort his own people. He's watching him actively sin against God and his own nation. And in Jesus' mind, he says, that's a guy I want. That is a person I want to come with me and be with me. And be one of my disciples and one of my apostles. And so he goes and he hits him with the same thing that he hit everyone with. Follow me. He didn't lay out any rewards. He didn't say if you do this, it will come up that. He just, follow me. Don't know, my guess is Levi had been listening. Jesus is talking. And something has pricked his heart. And so Jesus says, follow me. And Levi is thinking, this is amazing. I can know God. I I can know God from this rabbi right here. I I, I mean, this is, I never thought this would be possible after the decisions I've made. And so he he gets up and he, he follows Jesus. Now this is a big thing to get up and follow Jesus. Because the way the Roman government worked, if you walked off the job, you were done. Right? There was no going back. There was no going back. Once he left the table and took off after Jesus, that job was closed to him for the rest of his life. Not only was that job closed to him, the people despised him. Everything was right here with Jesus. Jesus did not work out for him. He was in a pickle. Because Rome wouldn't have him. The people wouldn't have him. What on earth would he do if Jesus didn't work out? But he took a chance. And he went with Jesus. And as he went with Jesus, he decides to invite his friends to come and meet Jesus. Because Jesus is different from the religious leaders they were used to. Jesus is a holy man. And yet he constantly reached out to those who were far from God. He is willing to meet sinners where they are and talk to them and let them know God loves them, God cares for them, and they can be reconciled to God. He's even willing to eat with them. This was vastly different than the religious leaders and the way they acted. They were so holy, they wouldn't have anything to do with these kinds of people at all. In fact, 
according to what I, I've read, when the religious leaders would walk through the marketplace where these type of people might be, you know, they wore robes. They would gather their robes up and they would hold them like this. And the reason they did it was for fear that the edge of their robe might touch a sinner like Levi. And if it did, then they would take it and burn it because they, it, was, it was defiled at that point. Can you imagine the image of someone being afraid to let their garments touch you because you were such a defiling sinner that it would destroy their garments and make them worthless if, you were to, if they were to accidentally brush up against you? Well, this is the way the religious leaders acted towards sinners like Levi. But they, they had no compassion for these sorts of people. They had no love for these sorts of people. They had no desire to see these people, even though they were Jewish people, no desire to see them reconciled to God. No desire to, to see them brought back into a, a right relationship with God. It wasn't on their agenda. They didn't care about the eternal destinies of sinners like this. They'd given up on them. They didn't want them around. As far as they were concerned, God could just kill them and damn them to hell right now. And that would be perfect for them. That's exactly what they would have wanted. But not Jesus. Jesus was openly and unashamedly eating with them. He went to his house. And he sits at the table. Now, sitting at the table was a a big deal. It, It conveyed a sense of acceptance, a sense of willingness to be there. But Jesus isn't doing it under the cover of darkness. Jesus isn't hiding. He's open about it. I mean, that's why the religious leaders see him. Eating with someone in this manner, it conveyed an acceptance of them as a person. He wasn't tolerating them. He was accepting them. Now, obviously, he wasn't accepting of their sin or their lifestyles because he came to call them, to heal them as a physician heals the sick. But he did accept them as people who were made in the image of God. People who are desperate in need of a savior like him. It's important for us to see Jesus intentionally went to them. Jesus intentionally associated with messy people so he could offer them the grace they so desperately needed to be healed of their spiritual diseases. This is our example. This is what we're to be like. We're to follow Jesus' example. Now, that shouldn't surprise us. We call ourselves disciples of Jesus. Even the name Christian means little Christ. It was based off the fact that they were went in the name of Christ. So the fact that Jesus is our example shouldn't be a surprise. So we have to understand this is the way we're supposed to follow his example in this area as well. Jesus intended for us. As individual disciples to follow this example. Jesus intended for us as a church to follow this example. For this to be a place where where sinners could gather without judgment. Where they could gather and be accepted. Where they could gather and they wouldn't hear us whispering about them. Where they could gather and, and we wouldn't just tolerate them and let them sit over there so long as they didn't touch anything. But we would go to them and befriend them and we would know them. This is what Jesus intended. We're to follow the example of Jesus. Now, this idea of of going to messy people is most definitely the example of Jesus. Think about what Jesus did. Jesus wasn't just a prophet. We know that. He was God. So, 
If you've been coming on Wednesday nights, we've talked about in Isaiah 6, that's Jesus in all of his glory, according to John chapter 12. So Jesus, who is the great and the glorious God that Isaiah sees and says, woe is me, he, he comes to earth. He comes to where we are. And then he walks among us and he serves people. And he cares for people. And he touches people. And he eats with people. And he talks with people. And he loves people. And then he says, we're to go and do the same thing he did. Look at what he said. Praise his prayer. John 17. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. But to keep them away from the evil one. They're not of the world. Just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Look at this. Just as you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. Several things about this passage are important to see. We don't have time to get into. But let me first just point out a few things. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. Do you know that as disciples of Jesus, we are not supposed to be in an insulated world where we don't encounter sinful, messy people? That's not what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to make these gated communities where it's just people like us and sinners aren't allowed. We're we're not supposed to, to do everything we can to be as isolated away from the rest of the world as we can be. He said, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. That's not the prayer. That's not the desire of Jesus. Rather, he says, keep them from the evil one, right? Don't let the evil one influence them. Don't let the evil one destroy them. Protect them from him. That they were not of the world, but we're in the world. We, we've heard that saying so much, it's a cliche, but it, it's a real statement. That, that's kind of what he's saying there. We're not supposed to be like the world. We're not supposed to have their morals and their values and their priorities and their attitudes and their actions and their reactions. And we're not supposed to talk like them and think like them, but we're supposed to be among them. And can I say... What's often happened in, in the American church particularly. And I say that simply because I'm in the American church. We have all of the morals and the values and the attitudes and the actions and the reactions of an unbelieving, unregenerate world. But we are separated from them because we're better than them is how we think of ourselves. God help us. We have embraced their morality and their attitudes and their reactions and the way they act. But we have nothing to do with them to try to bring them to Jesus. And it's supposed to be the opposite. We're supposed to be like Jesus, holy and different and different in every area of our life. And yet walking among them so they can see how we are. They can see something different about us and they can say, tell me about the hope you have within you. Why do you talk the way you talk? Why do you live the way you live? And we can say, let me tell you about a Savior. This is what Jesus intends. And we see that because just as Jesus was sent into the world, He has sent us into the world. Think about that. That's a big statement. Jesus left the safety of heaven to come to the dangerous earth. Jesus left the holy, clean heaven to come to the messy and filthy of earth. Jesus left all that in heaven to come to where it's costly and it's messy. And it's dirty to do ministry. And just as he was sent, we have been sent. We are not meant to live 
in our nice, safe, Christian bubbles. That is an abandonment of what we've actually been called to do. If we're going to follow Jesus' example of ministering to messy people, we're going to have to live out the incarnation of Christ among those who need Him. We're going to have to let them see Jesus fleshed out in our lives. And we can't do that in our safety zones. We can't do that by retreating into our churches and looking out the windows and and cursing the darkness out there. It's so bad out there. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to go out there to be lights that shine in a dark world. To be lives that are lived in a dying world. To give them a picture of a Savior that loves a lost and a sinful world. This is what Jesus did and this is what we must do as well. Following Jesus' example always leads us to messy people. Because ministry is always messy because people are always messy. Secondly, we have to build relationships with messy people. Upon having a meeting Jesus... Levi has a desire to introduce his friends to Jesus. Jesus was the greatest thing he had ever met, the greatest thing that ever happened to him in his life. And he wanted others to meet Jesus and have this experience as well. And he went out and he he called his friends. And he called them to his house for a party. And these are his messy friends. These are people he already had a relationship with. And, And as I mentioned... These are people like Matthew, people like Levi. And he invites Jesus into this rough party. Now, I'm not going to speculate too much about what the party was like. I don't know. But Matthew had been a disciple of Jesus all of a day. So the odds that he had everything lined out about how he should talk and act and had given the speech to everybody, don't do this and don't do that, seems unlikely to me. It seems he called his rough sinner buddies to a party, which they were probably used to. And his rough sinner buddies came and did what rough sinner people do. And Jesus walked into that. They invited Jesus, come. Come and and be with us. Come and let us hear about who you are and what you're like. Why are you so different than those guys? And Jesus went into that. Willingly, he stepped into their world and sought to build a relationship with them so he could minister to them and they could be saved. This may require a shift in our thinking if we're to follow Jesus' example. Ministry is not an event, but it's meant to be a process. A process where we build a relationship with people. And this relationship then gives us opportunities to show them Jesus through our actions and our attitudes and our reactions and our speech and our thoughts and our values and our priorities. And and in every area of life and as they see Jesus lived out through us, 
they will be open to hearing about Jesus from us. When Jesus ministered to these people here, he and to everybody, he gave them more than just the gospel. He gave them himself. He, he did things to personally interact with them. Like we talked about a few weeks ago with the leper. He touched the leper. And that's, again, that's significant to touch a leper, to, to eat with this kind of, of people. This is a personal interaction. This isn't knocking the door. Can I share with you four spiritual laws? No? Okay. It's not that. It is getting to know them. Spending time with them. Giving them his life. Letting them see him. And then when opportunities arise, give them the gospel. This is the example of Jesus. This was the example of the Apostle Paul. He said when he to Thessalonians that when he was among them, he was gentle. As a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. In the same way we had fond affection for you. And we're delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our own lives. Because you'd become very dear to us. Now, I love this, and we don't have time to do a lot with it. But think about the example here. Gentle as a nursing mother cares for her children. That's pretty gentle, right? I mean, that's pretty loving. That's that's pretty taking the time to, to work things out so that everything goes the way it should, right? I mean, that's... I don't want to get into illustrations about how that works, but it's... Time. It's care. It's difficult from what I can remember seeing with Kelly until it starts to, to work like it should. Now, if that's our example in ministry, how should we treat sinners? How should we treat the messy people? Should we jump on them with both feet about what awful sinners they are? Is that gentle? Is that tenderly caring for them? Wouldn't it be... Like doing good for them, showing them we love them. Truly, not, not just like we do things to, they're not a project, but we love them, we care for them. We give them not just the gospel, which that's the ultimate, we want to get to the gospel. But we give them our, our very lives as well because they're dear to us. This is what Paul did. This is difficult. It is far more far easier to do ministry as an event rather than a process. As an event, I have no emotional involvement in it. I can walk up to somebody. I can offer them the gospel. And when they reject it, I can turn and walk away. And my life is fine. I don't take that rejection personally. But if I know them and I've made myself love them and I'm trying to get them the gospel, I'm trying to get them to Jesus and they continually push back and turn it away... Man, that, that is an ache in my soul. That, that's the kind of thing that will keep me up at night. That is the kind of thing that will reduce me to sobbing tears in my prayer. But that's what we're to do. We're to build that investment in their lives so that they become dear to us. And it does make their continual rejection of the gospel so much harder. But the alternate to that, or the other side of that, is it makes their acceptance of the gospel so much sweeter. 
ministering to someone as an event rather than someone as an event rather than building a relationship with them. It keeps us from being emotionally involved in our lot in their lives. It allows us to be detached from the person and unconcerned about the results of their eternal destinies overall. People can generally tell when we care and when we're mechanically going through the motions. Can you tell? When a politician comes to your door, you're heading into midterm, so they're going to be knocking soon. Let me tell you about my candidate. Let me tell you about why they're wonderful. Does that feel like concern to you? Does that feel like they're giving you their own lives? Or does that feel like, hey, I need you to vote for my person? People can tell. You can tell. Others can tell. And then they can tell when we love them and when we care for them. And when what we're doing is because we love them and we care for them and not just because it's a goal we have. If we want to follow the example of Jesus, we have to intentionally develop relationships with messy people. Messy people require a personal investment. This gets us in the mess. Ministry is always going to be messy because people are always messy. And then lastly, focus on what Jesus can do, not on what they have done. The religious leaders respond in the way that you would expect Pharisees and religious leaders to respond. They said, why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners that they can't? They can't imagine that. Why would he be with them? Why, I mean, look at the, he's, he says he's a rabbi, and look at what he's doing. Rabbis don't do this, but but while they they think that what they're doing is a set of they're being holy, what they're really doing is revealing their their self righteousness. They are revealing <coughs> the evil of self righteousness in their own hearts. Now Jesus's response. He demonstrates to them that he's there for a reason. Jesus said to them, not those who are healthy who need a physician, those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. He's there to fulfill the mission of seeking and saving those who are lost. That's the point of verse 17. When he said it wasn't healthy people who need a doctor, but sick people. Sick people need a doctor. Sinners need a savior. He was the Savior they needed. He came so those who were far from God could find new life through Him. He came to help those who were separated from God be reconciled to God through Him. None of this could be accomplished without Jesus spending time with those who were far from God. The only way Jesus could accomplish His mission was to get right down where they were. Without this interaction, His mission would fail. He went to them. To call them to turn from their sins and to turn to Him. He wanted sinners to know while the religious world had turned away from them and had given up on them, He had not. He wanted sinners to know that while the religious world did not care about their eternal destinies, He did. He wanted them to know that while sinners, while the religious community did not care about their lives, He wanted to have a genuine relationship with them. He wanted them to know that while the religious world saw them as broken beyond repair, he saw them as someone he could make whole. He didn't see them in light of their sins. He saw what he could do through them, what he could do for them. 
He saw what he could do, not what they had done. Now, redemption is, is always our goal. All of our interaction with messy people is so they can come to know Christ as their Savior. That, that's the goal. I mean, we always want to focus on that. That's what we're there for. But in order to get them to redemption, in order to get them to Jesus, there has to be a shift in what we focus on as we look at them, as we interact with them. What's easy for us to focus on is what they've done. The bad decisions they've made. The life they've lived. Now, we live in a small town. There are very few people we don't know a lot about. When somebody makes a bad decision, it's on Facebook. And we see it. Somebody tells us about it. It's just just the nature of the beast of a small town. And so the easy thing for us to do is to know so much about people that we focus on what they've done. And that's all we can see. We see the sinner. We see the person involved in a, in a false religion. We see the person who is an adulterer, a fornicator, or whatever else they are. And if that's what we see, our interactions with them will be not well. They will not bring about redemption. Because we're focusing on what they are. We're focusing on what they've done. And, and, and when we focus on that, that's how we'll talk to them. That's how we'll treat them. It will be evident. We have an, a sense of disdain about them. It just will. I mean, again, can't you tell when someone has a sense of disdain about you for some reason? Can't you sense it? Can't you feel it? Other people can too. And so what we have to do is focus really on Jesus. What Jesus can do, what no one else can do. Jesus, when he met with Levi and his friends, he focused on what they could be if they would repent of their sins and they trusted in him. When religious leaders looked at Levi and his friends, all they could see was tax collectors and sinners because they focused on the wrong things. And because they focused on the wrong things, they isolated themselves from messy people like Matthew and they left them separated from God. Focusing on someone's past, their mistakes, their sins, their actions. It will always prevent us from ministering to people in Jesus' name. So what we have to do is learn to switch our focus. We have to learn to say things like we're sin did abound. Grace did much more abound. We have to focus on what God's word says. Things like if anyone is in Christ... They're a new creation. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, here's the thing. Either that's true for everyone, or it's not true for anyone. I mean, either anyone in Christ is a new creation, or no one in Christ is. It cannot be people like us are a new creation. People like them, they will always be that. God, help us not to have that sort of a pharisaical mindset. To trust God's word, to believe the word of God is true, means we have to believe that if anyone comes to Jesus, if anyone repents of their sins, if anyone believes, then that person is made into a new creation, regardless of what their past was, regardless of what their lives were. Jesus can change anyone. And again, I do believe... Either we believe Jesus can change anyone 
or deep down we really don't believe Jesus can change anyone. I mean, it, it is one or the other. And if I look at this person and I say, Jesus can't change them, then deep down I don't believe Jesus changes anyone. Probably we believe I cha- we changed ourselves. We turned over a new leaf. We fixed ourselves. In which case we desperately need to repent of our sins and believe the gospel and be saved. Because when we have become a new creation, we know that what is possible for us is, a possible, is possible for everyone else. We have to train ourselves to focus on what Jesus can do instead of on what they have done. And as we do this, ministering in the name of Jesus will come naturally to us. It will just be the natural way we live our lives because we see them and we don't see this. We see what Christ can do in them and through them and for them. And we will begin to follow the example of Jesus. We will begin to build relationships with them. We will begin to bring redemption to them. One thing I I don't want to do this message is just end it thinking about messy people like tax collectors and sinners. Surely those who have lived in deep sin are messy people. Surely those who have rejected societal norms in their lives are messy people. But they aren't the only ones who are messy. All people are messy. All people have messy issues in their life. You have messy issues in your life. I have messy issues in my life. And we have to understand we're all messy. So in just a minute, we're going to call on people to come, to repent, to turn. And I want you to realize you can come no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. But you, if you think you're a messy person because of the actions of your past, things that have happened, things you've done, you are the person Jesus came for. Jesus can take your mess and He can, as I've preached in the plan, make a masterpiece out of it. He can work through us. He took the tax collector Levi and He turned him into the Apostle Matthew who wrote the Gospel of Matthew. He took the Pharisee Paul, Saul, and He turned him into the Apostle Paul. There is no messy person in the world Jesus cannot transform. He can transform me. He can transform you. He can transform everyone. We're all messy. We all have issues. And Jesus, Jesus can fix those issues. Jesus can turn our mess into something else. So the question today, what we have to decide One, am I a messy person who first needs Jesus? Do I need to come to Him, seek Him, develop the relationship with Him that that I need, that He wants clearly? If so, then when we have the invitation, you come and you call on Jesus. Second thing, if you're here and you you say, I've already come to Jesus and I know I'm a messy person. I'm with Jesus. We're working on that. And what you need to start praying for is for how can you reach out to other messy people? Who are the messy people in your life? Jesus wants to reach through you. What can you begin to do to follow His example 
and build a relationship with Him? How do you need to change how you focus? And then if you're here and you say, you know, I'm, I do kind of want people just like us. I don't want to deal with messy people. Your need is to repent. That sort of pharisaical, self-righteous attitude is a sin. And it pushes you away from Jesus. Now, I'm not saying you're necessarily not saved. What I'm saying is, you're not what Jesus anticipates you to be. You're not what He saved you to be if you're a self-righteous Pharisee. And that attitude must be repented of. Plus, you stand... So our musicians come forward. We'll have just a moment. Play one verse of invitation. If you want to come forward and pray to call on Jesus to save you in the middle of your mess, you come. If you want to come forward and pray... For Jesus to help you reach out to the messy people in your life, you come. If you want to come and repent of your self-righteousness, you come. Or you can pray where you are. Jesus is not closer here than He is there. The key thing is what you're doing in this time. I'll pray. They'll play a verse of invitation. And let's all deal with Jesus as He is dealing with us this morning. Our Father, we love You today. And we ask You to help us in this. Help us to understand, Lord, if we're going to minister to people in the name of Jesus, power of the Spirit for your glory, it is going to be messy. You cannot minister from a distance. You cannot minister without getting involved in the muck and the mire of life. That's just the way it goes. Help us, Father, to, to long to see the messy people of our community come into our church, sit with our pews and visit with us and eat at our dinner tables. Come to know Christ as their Savior. Give us opportunities this week to minister to messy people in our lives, messy people that we see and we interact with. For those that are here that in their mind they're saying, you say messy, but you don't know. You, you don't know how angry I am. You, you don't know the struggles in my heart that no one else sees. You don't know how messy I am. Make them to know I don't, but you do. And still Jesus calls, come, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Father, let the messy people here who, who appear not to be messy, who are keeping it down and keeping it hidden, let them know that Jesus can give them the rest for their souls they so desperately need. Father, if we're here today and we sort of have a self-righteousness about us. We look down at the really messy people. Subconsciously, we fold, the, we fold the corners of our garments together so they don't even touch the dirty, messy people around us. Oh, God, break our hearts. Break our hearts at our self-righteousness. Break our hearts at the evil of that attitude and that mindset. Have your way in all of our hearts today. Do what only you can do and make us like Jesus, we ask in his name and for his sake. Amen.